Texas Pete is taking its flavor on the road with convenient, easy-to-enjoy portion control packets. Whether it's a Texas Pete dip cup or sauce packet, your customers will be able to enjoy bold flavor for a better on-the-go dining experience, anywhere, anytime. Ask your broker for the number one portion control hot sauce or visit texaspetefoodservice.com for more information. Well, you also look like a floating head to anybody who's watching the video of this. Um, it just kind of looks like Sam is like doing a magic trick or something. Well, maybe I am. Yep. I magically relocated myself to the basement because babies take priority over office space or something or other. I don't know. Sam, have you ever done magic? You seem like the kind of person who would do magic. You know, I'm uh, offended that you would think that <laughs> because I don't know why I give off magic vibes. But no. Does that, do you think I'm nerdy? Is that what you're implying? Do you think I'm a nerd? Is that a question? Is that a yes? Um, I thought that was just like known. I mean, I accept. I, I am nerdy. I accept that. I'm just not magic nerdy. That's a different level of nerdy. You know, I'm I'm music nerdy. I'm Star Wars nerdy. I'm not magic nerdy. No offense to all you magicians out there. But you have kids. So like, I didn't know if you were like, let me learn some magic tricks for the kids. That's way too much work. I don't want to put that much work into impressing my kids. My kids are impressed by way less than magic. What are some things they're currently impressed by? Um, my strength. <laughs> like, I literally can pick up a non-heavy thing and they'll go, Dad, you're strong. You know, it's little things like that. And I'm milking it for as long as I can because in the next couple of years they'll realize, oh, Dad wasn't strong at all. Um, so, yeah, pretty loose. much that. But musical ability, they, they're they always impressed by that. So I try to milk that as much as I can. <laughs> Teach them to also be musicians. It'll be a loud household. Oh, yes. And speaking of that, in my, in my moving offices, I've uncovered this little thing here, which is a little hand drum from Belize that my sister gave me. She bought it on her honeymoon 20 years ago. Oh, oh, oh. I feel like I just need to no. incorporate this into our conversations somehow. Like this can be our transition from one segment to another. <laughs> Remember when we had theme music? Like I feel like this could be our new – I feel like we could create a new song around this, Sam. Okay, so anytime one of you disappoints me, I'm going to. So we're going to that constantly the podcast is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yikes. Sorry, listeners, it's going to be a constant sound because we Yikes. are constantly disappointing Sam. Yep. Yep. My bonus, uh, we'll do a bonus episode of just me playing the hand drum from Belize. <laughs> That's what people I'd want. I'd like a bonus episode of you playing your real drums for us. Or I'd like One you of to these days. Song. Well, not to jump ahead of ourselves, you didn't put this into our script, Holly, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, which is that I'm just back from Nashville where I was touring um, some venues for Create. Uh, and yes, and I know we just had create in Palm Springs, what, three months ago, but it's never too soon to talk about create 2024. And, uh, that's in Nashville this October, October 8th through 10th. Um, don't and be fooled by the, maybe a speaker, maybe we don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, if, if there's anybody out there who wants to sponsor what I'm sure is a 1 million plus, uh, fee to get Taylor Swift there, we'll, we'll do our best to get her there. Um, but, um, but I, I'm, I'm convinced that at create this year we need to have a honky tonk party and get a band and if that happens i am i'm going to try to have enough drinks that gives me the courage to get on stage and actually play so it's gonna happen just you wait and see sam i one time watched you rush the stage at a piano bar 
So and I don't think what happened next. <laughs> and what happened what after happened that, next? Holly? He was escorted out. <laughs> How have Let's I not heard say, this before? I don't know this story. Okay. And I'm only going to say it briefly because I'm sure the people listening have far more interesting things to do than listen to this story. But we were at a piano bar in Chicago during the restaurant show, and people were jumping up on the stage in front of the guy playing piano and dancing. Well, in my head, I thought, okay, they're welcoming people on the stage. And so I – but my mistake was I didn't jump in front of the piano and dance in front of the piano. I came around the stairs behind the guy playing piano um, and was swiftly – prevented from getting any further and removed from the stage by a security guard. Um, and, the, and, and I'm not one for conflict. So I, I very quickly understood what needed to happen, which was to see my way out. Um, but yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't get up with a band on a stage unless invited. Let's put it that way. That's a good note. Well, yeah. Sam, maybe we should hire your band for create. I know which one, right? You're probably a good price. Yeah, it'll only be a cool twenty thousand dollars. You know, I, I, I mean, hey, we've been saying this for a long time, but we've got a lot of musical people in our group, mm -hmm. and I think house band is in order one of these days. So, um, if you are a fellow musician out there listening to this and you want to volunteer for the Create Band, please email me, and we're going to make something happen. We'll have dueling drummers with Sam and Alicia Kelso, so that'll be fun. Um, yep. I think Joanna plays the. Uh, clarinet so we have that too <laughs> our create band just got a lot less cool because <laughs> no it was gonna be really cool at the start <laughs> <laughs> dueling drums we yes. started from a really high bar <laughs> we could have stopped at dueling drums and it would have been very cool well i'm just you know we got to throw joanna in there she she has a musical talent so her finger That's is fair. busted now so she can't play the clarinet so no all right we're spiraling let's talk about <laughs> restaurant industry stuff all right, let's talk about something that we're definitely going to spiral on. So I'm just letting you guys know ahead of time because this is going to definitely just run out of control. Um, the Stanley Cups, which are like the viral sensation of the past year. I think they made like $72 billion last year or something. And just to clarify, this is not the <laughs> NHL championship. This is really blowing my mind. All this conversation around Stanley Cups is really throwing me off because I know of one Stanley Cup. And that is the NHL championship. Which is so funny because I've heard this Stanley Cup so many times that I've completely disassociated the actual Stanley Cup. And I forgot it was a real thing. Why aren't they called like Stanley mugs or Stanley not jars? Or, but it's, is it, Stanley are they allowed jars? to do that as a company? Isn't that infringement of some kind that they call themselves Stanley Cup and it's not the Stanley Cup? I feel like well, if it was illegal, they would have been like caught and taken down by now. <laughs> caught and taken down i think stanley cup has a little tm next to it when you see it so i think they must have trademarked stanley cup and i'm sure the stanley cup was like we don't need a trademark so that's what i think is that your your best legal advice mm -hmm. that's my uh, legal advice uh, okay. from somebody who didn't go to law school uh so that's what i'm telling you uh anyways the story which we've already spiraled away from as i knew we were um is that stanley cups which have become you know the it thing among Gen Z, Gen Alpha, Millennials, um, they partnered with Starbucks uh, to create this like hot pink Stanley Cup. And most Stanley Cups are around $85. Um, so th the one that was sold at Target was a little less money, um, but it was sold at exclusively at Target. And it people were camping out at like 4 a.m. outside of Target stores to wait in line to get these cups. 
and it sold out within minutes. And I mean, I think what's interesting about this is that it, yes, is a Starbucks collaboration, but I don't know if Starbucks is getting the credit for it that it feels it should get because it's more about Stanley and less about Starbucks. Um, but I'm curious what you guys think about this phenomenon. And we'll also tack on the other brands that have been participating in CPG, like Taco Bell with their new box to make your own uh, crunch wrap. And then they, the Chick-fil-A sauces that have come out in CPG. So, I mean, like what, what do you guys think about this trend and specifically the Starbucks example? Uh, so, so tell me, um, is this, Anything other than a different color of their standard product? It's just a pink version of yep. what they've already been selling? Is that yep. literally it? Yeah. Yep. There are people, Sam, this will blow your mind. There are people on TikTok who have like hundreds of Stanley Cups in like every color. They get like every exclusive limited edition, whatever. They just have like, sh- they like have them on display. Just like if my bookshelves were just like cups. They, this it's a thing and I don't understand it either, but just like, that's the context of this. It's a thing. That's very strange to me. I mean, you know, cups serve one purpose, which is to drink things out of or eat things out of. I'm not going to judge. Um, but that is okay. So anyway, I, so these must, this is a collector's item, I guess. And yeah, I mean, here's my best guess. And we'll get into some of the implications for other restaurants in a little bit, but first I'm going to say that this must be, these people who waited in line for these, they've got to be reselling them, right? They're running to eBay to, to turn this around for a profit. Like nobody's camping out for a cup at Target, right? Like that's, that's crazy to me. Um, so, so I'm first putting on Sam the old man consumer hat and saying, if you're waiting in line at Target for a cup, then I think you need to do some deep exploration of your life. Um, no offense, but like, but now putting, taking that hat off and putting on Sam, the restaurant editor hat on great, great idea. This is, I mean, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, great job, Starbucks and Stanley cup, um, for coming up with the most perplexing, um, thing that, I mean, I would, I understand McDonald's Crocs more than I understand why people care so much about a pink cup from Starbucks. Um, but, uh, I, I think if I were to step back and say these kind of collaborations clearly make a lot of sense because what you're tapping into is the fervor of another fan of another brand and glomming that onto your own. So Starbucks clearly saw the opportunity in these, you know, wackos who collect Stanley cups and saying, Oh, they should have one then, uh, you know, as part of Starbucks too. And then maybe they will be a fan of Starbucks. So so I guess that's what's at play. But more importantly, this created a viral moment that we're talking about. And, you know, there, somewhere there are marketers behind the scenes that are just planting the seeds of these viral TikTok posts that lead to the tar- Target Black Friday-like stampede that then leads to more viral posts. And it's smart. It's great marketing. Um But um, I'm a little concerned about our um, human race if that is, in fact, something people want to rush into a target for after waiting in line hours, because I just don't see the appeal. But I'm not the target demographic. Well, like you think about sneakers, people wait in line for sneakers all the time. So, But there's function there, right? Like sneakers are, I mean, look, I guess there's function to the cup too. Not put them on their feet. Well, see, here's the thing about sneakers and cups. 
and this is coming from a guy who collects neither. I'm a guy who, you know, I, I, I need really one pair of sneakers, but I understand why you might have a couple different pairs of sneakers because you want to match them to your clothes, right? And, and there's different comfort levels and different, you know, different things you might need to do. I, a cup is a cup is a cup. As you guys well know, I have this uh, thermos from Dutch Bros. Thank you, Dutch Bros. Um, that I use pretty much every single day because it has one function and that is hold liquid. And I don't need to go out and buy five more of those because I'm able to wash my my one thermos every day, right? Sneakers, though, I get it. I you know, in 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 my old age, I, I have had more than you know. I've started to see the appeal of having maybe I'll have a blue pair of sneakers because then where I'm wearing blue, I can match. You know, um, nobody wants to hear my opinion on this, so I don't know why I'm still talking. <laughs> but there's it's it's function, right? Like have some function to the thing. And I get it, but when there's just very little function and uh, I changed the color of the cup, I don't know. I did check online and they're reselling on eBay for between $250 and $600. All right, so who's who am I more embarrassed for? The person who ran into Target after waiting hours or the person shelling out $600 for a thing designed to hold liquid? Good timing, Leanne. Good timing to bring out your cup. <laughs> That is containing liquid. Um, this one, for the record, was a gift from the human being. So, just clearly, we are making a plea to every coffee company to please send us these. Things. Send us cups, and then we become collectors. And all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm waiting in line at Target to run in and grab a pink <laughs> Stanley cup. I can't believe Starbucks didn't send anybody on our team a Stanley Cup, but I guess they don't need yeah, the additional publicity, and also we're giving it to them anyway, so never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, Sam, one of the purposes, another purpose of the cup, um, yes, it holds your liquid. It also, um, it's just like a status symbol, uh, particularly among young women, and I do mean women younger than myself. Um, <clears throat> I think Probably. Gen Z in particular, uh is just if you like if you have a Stanley Cup, then like you're quote unquote cool, like amongst your friends. I've heard stories from friends of like their teenagers like really want Stanley Cups, and of course their parents are like you, Sam, and say, "I'm not going to buy you a fifty dollar vessel for your water." Um, eighty five dollars. They're eighty five dollars. I thought five dollars. I thought they were fifty, like baseline, and that is too much money. Okay, well, I'm gonna join Sam on the. Grumpy old man couch. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. All right. I'm officially old. This is the one that has done me in. <laughs> we're 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 just grumpy, but we're not crazy. <laughs> we're definitely not crazy. Uh, but again, you know, good for Starbucks. And the thing is, I know we're going to talk about the other brands that are leading into CPG now too. And the virality of this moment, like we talk about these viral moments sometimes, and like. It's impossible to like plan or replicate that kind of moment. However, CPG as a concept is something that any restaurant operator can lean into. Um, the grocery store down the street from me just started selling pizza from the pizza place that's another couple blocks down from them. Uh, so even just small collaborations, it's not CPG, but it's like the same kind of like boundary crossing, like your product in retail. Um, that is something that can easily be replicated, even if it doesn't land you however many billions of views on TikTok. Um, you can take what these big brands are doing and scale it down um, and make it work for you and your community. 
Well, and so something I think about when we talk about the CPG market is that like the brands that are jumping into it or are making waves for jumping into it are the brands that know how to use their brand to create these moments. Like the Chick-fil-A sauce was a big deal. They, I'm sure, have sold, I don't think they've reported on it, but I'm sure they've sold millions and millions of bottles of sauce because who doesn't want the Chick-fil-A sauce? And you have it in your fridge now and it's there. Um, and then the Taco Bell, Taco Bell's great at making moments that people talk about. And these new meal kits are, they're not like really a meal kit. It's like a make your own Crunchwrap Supreme. But I mean, like it's brand new. It made a lot of waves that it's being sold at a store. Like, I mean, I think that the brands that are really making stories out of their CPG are ones that know how to use publicity. Yeah, I think, yes, because, I mean, this is all a marketing move, right? I mean, in in some instances, this is literally brand extension and customer acquisition. Um, But in in most of these cases that we've talked about on this show, um, it tends to be a marketing thing because, again, it is how do I access new customers um, via existing brands um, because it's 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 like acquiring another restaurant concept in some ways. You acquire another restaurant concept because you acquire a fan base. You know, when you do a, a CPG collaboration, and specifically a collaboration in these cases that we've talked about with like the Crocs and with this cup, I mean that is that is acquiring that brand's fan base in a way. You know, um, but otherwise, you know, like what Taco Bell is doing. I mean, that's that's that is more access points. And in some ways that's, you could see that as almost like an off premises service kind of situation, which is, okay, how do we serve Taco Bell, not out of a Taco Bell, but maybe on the retail shelves. And CPG has been around forever for the restaurant industry, but there are more creative ways that they are doing that because people don't strictly go to grocery store and eat food prepared from grocery store and strictly, you know, eat from a restaurant. It's not a black and white situation anymore. It's there's there's food access to food is a very gray zone. Um, and so CPG offers one of those ways. But yeah, with something like this collaboration, this the Stanley Cup thing, that's marketing and it's smart marketing um, and it's tapping into I mean, marketers are, are their job is to tap into the, uh, you know, bizarre whims of consumers and they are ever more bizarre in a TikTok era. So here we are talking about cups. Well, did you see, I'm sure Leanne did, but there was this viral video that came out over the summer where this woman's car completely burned, like was blackened. You couldn't see anything. And the Stanley Cup survived and the water was still cold. Like there was still ice in it after a fire. And so the the CEO of Stanley Cup offered her a free car and bought her a free car. But like this video was epically viewed like it was one of like it was so successful people were talking about it for months that like the stanley cup survived this fire and was still had ice in it and so it does serve a purpose sam you know if your car ever catches on fire you still have cold water and are we um, sure that the stanley cup marketing team didn't set that car on fire <laughs> like we're sure this is real <laughs> goodness gracious but anyways, you know, hold on a second, because this is like those car commercials, like the Jeep commercials where they're driving at the edge of a cliff and climbing a mountain in order to get you to buy the car. And you're like, this is literally never going to I'm never going to be in this situation where I'm driving this Jeep up a mountain or along the side of a cliff because I'd be crazy to do that. So why would it make me want to buy a Jeep? Right. Like 
I mean, God willing, my car's never going to burst into flames, so I don't need a cup that's going to survive fire. I don't need to keep my my liquids cold in intense heat because it's never going to happen. All right, I feel really grumpy now. Sorry. <laughs> well, so what I find was so interesting about this is that Starbucks makes their own reusable cups. Like this is nothing new for Starbucks. They have been making their own reusable cups in various forms. They have the taller ones, like what Leanne's drinking with a straw in it. They have shorter ones that are like a traditional coffee cup. Um, they You can customize them. Like there's all these things that you could do with a Starbucks cup. Um, and then to partner with Stanley, I think is a really, like that was a move on their part to say, we're going to embrace these viral trends. They haven't really been a part of viral trends Starbucks. I don't think they've really been the same way that McDonald's has or Taco Bell or, I mean, they they haven't had that marketing power because I don't feel they've thought they've needed it. I mean, they have epic sales, record breaking, um, but this moment was really interesting. I think it could be pivotal for their marketing department to see, and I'm curious to see what they're going to do in the next year, not just with CPG, but with their whole marketing department, because this is kind of a step in more of like a McDonald's direction. Oh, you guys are both just making faces. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I just don't know how much I can more I can talk about cups. I I don't know. Go find you a Stanley Cup competitor is our advice and uh, create a viral moment. I suppose everybody is trying to create a viral moment, Sam. Let's be real. Which is so ridiculous because that's like the antithesis of of viral. Anyway. All right. Well, let's talk about Domino's. Um, there was the ICR conference was this week. Um, Alicia went. She had a great time. Um, she told us she's writing 20 stories about it. So everybody be prepared for that. Um, but there's also a lot of news that came out of it. Some of it was about the California minimum wage bills, which a few brands talked about, but we've covered death. So I didn't want to talk about that. Um, but Domino's surprised everyone and said they were going to look into other third-party deliveries once their contract with Uber Eats is up um, and that they're going to expand to all of them. Um, you know, we talked a few days or weeks at this point, don't know what time is, um, about the Pizza Hut layoffs and how those franchises were laying off in-house drivers. Um, Domino's famous for having its in-house drivers. Uh, so, I mean, I think this move was planned for a long time. I don't think it's a reaction to the California minimum wage. I think it's been in the works. It's part of the new CEO, Russell Wiener's plan. But um, I do think it's an interesting thing to note that this long holdout is now like, yep, we're everywhere. Um, and they only said that like 30% of their markets overlap between their website and third-party delivery. So they have this whole white space to use. And it's, I mean, I think it's interesting. What do you guys think? Now, uh, to clarify, did they, they're not getting rid of their in-house fleets no. like those Pizza no. Hut franchisees are. Um, they're just making the availability on all of the third-party platforms, which... I mean, in essence, will probably be a phase out of their in-house fleets at the end of the day, or at least cutting back, right? Streamlining delivery, um, which is no surprise, but nonetheless, still for a company that has really bragged about its delivery teams, um, you know, that's, that's I, I guess it's sort of the final nail in the coffin in some ways for in-house delivery drivers and, and really completes the transition to third-party delivery 
seven, eight years after it arrived, where Domino's itself is now going to be on all of the platforms. Uh, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we'll see. You know, it'll be interesting to try to um, look into Domino's financials in the next couple of years to see how much money they might lose on this and whether the reduced cost and delivery drivers um, justifies the expenses they'll have to pay for third-party delivery. But at the same time, you know, I'm sure they've got some good deals in place with those platforms because it's Domino's. Like everybody wanted Domino's. Um, they're one of the biggest, if not possibly the biggest uh, restaurant delivery company in the country, um, just based on the size of Domino's, right? I mean, like the size of Domino's, they're the, them and Pizza Hut are, are neck and neck for, for sales as far as biggest pizza company in the U.S., right? So then figuring that both of them are vastly Domino's, almost entirely delivery. Well, uh, off-premises, I should say, and, and then a big chunk of that being delivery. You know, Come I think it's safe to say- for facts. Well, look, I mean, you can deduce this, right? Like they're, they're doing more delivery, likely, than every company that's bigger than them, right? Because if we're thinking McDonald's, Subway, Panera- Taco Bell, Wendy's, Burger King, none of them are doing more delivery than Domino's. Okay. Anyway, so that's just, that's just, so I guess the point being is that like, that was the golden goose for the third party delivery companies and, and it, it, it has fallen. I'm mixing my metaphors, but, um, so, um, I, I thought years ago that we would all figure this third party delivery thing out together, like that the industry would come up with some solution to, you know, um, solve delivery without caving to the third party delivery platforms and having to give 25% cut of every sale to them. But it doesn't seem like they did. It, they, it just, it got to a point where I guess it was enough mass adoption of the third party delivery platforms and enticing enough for the companies to say, oh, I'm going to save how much money now? um to to go that direction and so what i would encourage the industry to try to do now is like let's make this relationship more prosperous right like if we've all accepted that third-party delivery is the way of the future how can we ensure great experiences great service timely service and profitability for everybody because it just still feels like we haven't figured a lot of that out yet um I'm not going to be the one who does it, obviously, but I do think we do, you know, there are, there are a lot of these things that, that remain to be seen. So mass adoption of third-party delivery is, is finally here, I guess, is ultimately the thing we learn about this. And, uh, and we'll all find out in the next couple of years what that means for Domino's bottom line. Okay, this is interesting because I did not immediately jump to the conclusion that Domino's would be eliminating in-house delivery. Um which is fascinating to me because it's unusual for Sam to have the more like negative view of a story than I do. But um, they, I'm like, wow, I don't know how to approach this now. Do I have the, the happier view of things? Um, Domino said specifically that there has not been a big overlap of consumers between like the people ordering directly from their platform and the people ordering um, from, is it Uber Eats that they're on right now? Um, whichever third-party delivery platform they're already using. Um, and and they also, in this same presentation, were very open about the fact that their current strategy is to try everything, to do anything it takes to get people back in the restaurant. Because we've seen, you know, pizza, the big pizza companies have taken a little dip the last couple of years. Um, and Domino's, like, first of all, they're, they're trying everything. And second of all, they're talking about it, which I thought was an unusual move, like straight up said, we're just trying whatever we can um, to build up our customer base. 
Uh, so my thinking was they're going to be on all the third-party delivery platforms and also maintain. Because, you know, 10 years ago, they were doing in-house delivery the best. Um, you know, they were always ahead of the curve on technology. They had a mobile app before a lot of companies did. You know, you could track your delivery driver on it. That was, like, really cool 10 years ago to, like, track your Domino's delivery driver as he, like, came to your apartment or house or whatever. Um and I don't think the company will be so quick to just cut that out. Now, maybe in five years, we'll be looking at something like that. Maybe, you know, the higher minimum wage will expand across the country and it'll make sense. And I am sure that's in the back of their minds as like, well, this could be something down the road, could be a way we could save money. But I really was not, I don't, I'm not expecting that from Domino's. I'll just say that in the next two to three years. Um, I think... Three years from now, we'll see them on every third-party delivery platform, and we'll see their in-house delivery maintain uh, where it's at now. And hopefully, we'll see some like sales increases in the coming years. You know, they're also um, they're leaning heavily into their emergency pizza marketing campaigns, where like certain people get free pizza. There was a campaign recently when student loan payments started back up. And if your student loan payment started back up, you could be eligible for a free pizza from Domino's. Um, things like that that are working for them. And they're just like leaning really he heavily into whatever they can right now. Um, so that was kind of my my view of this news this week. But also, yes, to your point, Sam, like third-party delivery adoption is universal at this point. And this is that final sign of that. I'll be interested to see if, um, if Domino's, I guess the, the question I would have in this, if I'm Domino's is, am I gaining access to new customers or just pushing my existing customers into other channels? Right. Because, you know, the loyal Domino's customer is still going to go to the app with their loyalty, you know, program and, um, and, and order that way. And presumably that will still trigger the, Domino's delivery driver to mm -hmm. deliver the pizzas there. I'm, I, you know, I know they, they haven't said yet, but they have yet to, you know, white label their delivery and, and just use one of the third party. That would be a big move. Um, that could yet happen. But I, so I guess then, you know, a, a lot of people see the third party delivery platforms essentially as marketing platforms, because it's just, mm -hmm. if somebody's going to DoorDash and punching pizza in and Domino's is not showing up, then that's a missed opportunity. Um, so, so the question I ha have is how many new customers or, or new um, orders, new transactions they're getting by being available on those platforms that they wouldn't otherwise have gotten because they weren't there. And that will be the determining factor of whether or not they ultimately lose the delivery program. Because, because um, if the share of people using DoorDash and uh, Uber Eats and all the other platforms becomes greater than their delivery, then again, I like, I think they'll probably start to phase it out because that just means that that's how people do delivery now. And they're not going directly to Domino's for that delivery because eventually you can't afford to keep the delivery drivers on if it just doesn't make any sense because, because they're already going to, you know, the third party delivery platform. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and, 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 you know, there are, there are probably going to be some solutions out there that will be developed again, as, as everybody accepts that third party delivery is now at mass critical level. Um, there will be probably new solutions that these companies come to come up with, with the restaurant companies to make it work for everyone. So, um, so we'll see.
Well, two things. To Sam's point, I was thinking the whole time, who doesn't know about Domino's? Like, they're a top 10 restaurant company. Who's going to go on an app and say, hmm, what do I want tonight? Mm, and then scroll through and say, oh, Domino's exists. Like, you know Domino's exists. Like, it's not a secret. It's not like this little right. indie chain that, like, you never heard of. It's Domino's. Everybody knows Domino's. So you're not going to, like, be scrolling through an app and say, oh, Domino's is here. Like, if you want pizza, unless you like Domino's, you're going to get Domino's. Unless it is not in your typical commute or you otherwise would have not considered it because it's out of your radius of what you want to drive or walk. And, and third-party delivery makes it more accessible or, you know, or, well, and I don't know, I guess it kind of depends on, you know, the, the, the Domino's delivery rate is too, I, I'm getting too much into logistics of it, obviously, but, but like you, you might have just not thought that there was a, not realized there was a Domino's or maybe Papa John's is closer. So you just always go to Papa John's, right? So the, in that case, it is that marketing. But I agree with you, Holly. Like you probably know if there's a if there's a Domino's near you, and we are a family that is okay. What brand do you want tonight? Not let's go scroll and see what's available. We know what is near us, and we know what we're in the mood for. And they all taste different, so like you know exactly what pizza you want. Like it's not I've never had any of them, but I you know it's I get the idea. Um, so it's <laughs> I'm so surprised. Um, but my second thought is that. As much as we want the third-party delivery model to change, it really changed during COVID. And I don't know if there's a way to pull back. You know, we talked about a lot of this menu pricing and how it's risen over the past few years. And, like, we kind of already let the cat out of the bag. I don't know if it's the same with delivery companies because the laws that people have tried to pass, they've either lost interest or the laws have failed. Like, it's not... I don't know what sort of regulation there could be for the third-party delivery industry. And yes, that's not our job, but um, it's something to really think about. Like they exploded over the pandemic. It's why everybody's using them now. It's probably a reason why Domino's was like, we got to get on it because everybody's now using these delivery apps that they weren't before 2020. And now we're sitting here like, oh no, we gave them too much power. And I don't know if we could pull back from it. Well, it's an interesting thought experiment to say without COVID, what would the role of the third-party delivery company be? Because I, I was more optimistic pre-COVID that the restaurant industry would prevail in not letting these companies kind of take over and take all of the, you know, take away their their profit margin. Um, but yeah, COVID changed that. Um, so I guess we'll never know. But that's why I think if this has to be a part of the future and restaurant, you know, restaurant leaders grumble enough as it is about working with these third party leaders. Um, you know, if, if it has to be, if it's one of those necessary evils, eventually they're going to have to figure this out. Um, and I don't know what that looks like, but hopefully somebody's thinking about it. Holly's muted. Should I just keep talking? Uh, See what happens. Muted, so I don't know what to do. I paralyze. <laughs> I've ordered delivery twice in the past two days, three days. So we had a storm. We had a big snowstorm over the weekend. It was beautiful. I'm sure Leanne was miserable because she hates snow. But um, we got four inches where I am. Beautiful. I was walking around. I was looking at the snowflakes all day. It was lovely. But I was like, I don't want to go out. So what do I do? I order drizzly because... Food is whatever, but you need your alcohol when there's a snowstorm. And so, but the drizzly, the drizzly 
whitelisted to Uber Eats and the Uber Eats driver never showed up, never showed up at the store to pick up the liquor. So I had to get out and go in the snow again, because it's crucial to snowstorm. I was going to say, you um, really needed that alcohol pretty bad. (laughs) But like the driver never showed, never showed up to the store. So my faith in Uber Eats is marginal. Um, But then I ordered delivery last night and it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. So it's, it's really a mixed bag. And I think that that's part of why, I mean, that's definitely why the restaurant operators are so furious with it other than the fees, but people, if they get a bad delivery once, they're never going to go back to that restaurant and it's not the restaurant's fault. Yeah. Therein lies the problem. So that's why they have to make this work or Mm -hmm. the restaurants are the ones that will suffer. Well, but the third party deliveries have a corner on the market. They know that they have these people, I can't think of an appropriate um, phrase to use right now, but they have these people in their clutches. Like they, they don't like a lot of restaurants don't have a choice. There's no, like there's no other way. And so I don't know, there has to be something better. Well, you guys are so down and pessimistic today. (laughs) It's because I'm being held hostage. (laughs) All the, all the hostageness that I've been, Uh uh, subject to also i'm really hungry it's lunchtime it is we could put some bars on your wall behind you so it looks like you're in prison next time that'll be better i'm not gonna say this on the podcast because nobody cares but in nashville i did get a picture of my mugshot, so it would be appropriate show notes maybe show notes definitely because you wouldn't let us do the show notes of you with makeup on last week so nope that one's for me me alone so disappointing all right well I'm going to, I mean, unless Sam, you want to share more photos with us, I'm nope. going to turn it over to this week's interview. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> All right. So I talked to Vicious Biscuit co-owner, George McLaughlin, um, and I'm going to turn it over to that interview, but I'm first going to thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks, Ollie. Texas Pete is taking its flavor on the road with convenient, easy to enjoy portion control packets. Whether it's a Texas Pete dip cup or sauce packet, your customers will be able to enjoy bold flavor for a better on-the-go dining experience, anywhere, anytime. Ask your broker for the number one portion control hot sauce or visit texaspetefoodservice.com for more information. So George McLaughlin, co-founder of Vicious Biscuits, can you tell me a little bit about what the brand is for our listeners? Yeah, so Vicious Biscuit was truly created to kind of be a chef-driven fun brunch concept. Um, Really, Michael Greeley, who was originally kind of came up with the the idea and the name, really wanted to find a way, being in the restaurant industry, to be more present in his family's life. And so he created kind of a a front brunch idea. We met, uh, loved the idea, loved his biscuits. So we collaborated, built out a menu to just really make brunch fun again. That's why we went with the quick casual uh, segment of it, where you walk in, be a part of the experience by walking up, ordering at the counter, sit down, and we take care of the rest. So brunch has seen a huge resurgence over the past 10 to 15 years. I mean, there are memes about it. It's boozy brunch. Like, I mean, brunch is a thing now. Have you seen um, people react to brunch at your counter service in a different way than you've seen people interact at like a casual dining restaurant? Yeah, I think people have really gravitated to us being able to being able to order at the counter, sit down, and then we take care of it and become more of a full service kind of concept. 
one, especially with, you know, families with young children, they can get in and get out a lot sooner. And those that want to dine, they leave their ticket open, they get more, you know, they buy more mimosas, and then they can create brunch any way they want. I I think in today's world, especially with third party delivery, and everything, we customers love to come to us, order the counter, be a part of the experience and sit down instead of waiting, you know, an hour or two to get a table at a full service, you know, brunch spot. So, so it's really brunch are serious. Right. And I, and I'm a true believer that brunch has been around forever. Um, I think that, you know, when we started in, a, in 2018, it were really technically created or first kind of put together in 16 collaborated and put the menu to 17 and opened in 18 um you really saw that brunch was already there and the drive was there you just had more once covid hit more individuals that were saying you know what we get to spend daytime with our family so we get to brunch now seven days a week rather just on the weekends so when you talk about biscuits i mean it's in your name so you got to assume the biscuits are good and especially considering it's chef-driven, I mean, they've got to be outstanding. Tell us a little bit about the biscuits. So that's why it's called Vicious Biscuit, because they're truly a plate-sized fork and knife biscuit. They're massive. And so, you know, that's one thing that we really worked on was how do you keep the nice crust with the, the moisture inside the biscuit for a long period of time? And that was really the thing that we worked on to, to really create and being able to cut the biscuit for it not to be dried out, but to be able to eat it with your hands if you can, or eat it with fork and knife. Um, you know, with our buttermilk biscuit or jalapeno and cheddar biscuit, they're just, they're outstanding. It's hard to say. And the one thing that we use is the highest quality ingredients, and we use very little amount of ingredients um, to keep them fresh and flavorful and really just, I mean, they're just vicious. It's really what you can say about them. <laughs> what a great term for it. I mean, but I also tend to think that, you know, biscuits, not only are they good for a counter service restaurant, but they're also good for delivery. So how did you guys fare during the past several years? You know, it's 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 crazy. When we were shut down here in South Carolina for about three months, we had a kind of a drive through. We had to set up in our parking lot for them to go, go through. And I was shocked when we first opened. Because my previous experience, I was with a a, a company or a, a, a franchise that I owned that was a large, you know, it was 25 plus percent takeout. I was shocked that even when we opened in, in 2018, how much people were ordering for takeout. You know, come along COVID third party, our food, because of all the natural ingredients, travels very well and holds up very well. So it was shocking to me when we first opened, I literally took our flamethrower, which is probably one of our most complex biscuit, comes with an egg on top of it, closed it in a clamshell, drove around it, and two hours later, cracked it open and said, oh my gosh, the quality is still there. And it was unbelievable. It was shocking to me because I didn't think, you know, still to this day, even though we do third party, the more responses we get from our customers are, they want to come in and truly experience what restaurants were created for. They want the experience. And that's What's so rewarding to us, because like I said, I'm, I'm seeing more and more concepts that they're 35 to 40 percent dine in. We're still 85 to 90 percent dine in. And we love that because restaurants, we're in the entertainment business and, and that's where we want to be and continue to be. And we deliver that through great food and great service. You did say 
fun when you first talked about the brand. How do you guys infuse fun into a concept that's kind of already fun? Well, we really make sure that our managers and our employees are having fun. And so what we always say to our managers, if you're not having fun, it's work. And who wants to work? So with having the quick casual, you're constantly doing a lot of things. No one is doing just one thing. And so we do a lot of cross training. Midway through a shift, we'll tell, you know, we'll, the, the, the kitchen staff will just change stations. And then even the front, you know, our cashiers will rotate out, our food runners, our bus. We do everything. So it's a lot of fun. You're not just stagnant in one position in one job. And so, you know, when the managers ask, well, what's the role? The role is just to make sure that we work through our employees, our employees are having fun, and our guests are having fun. And that's just through interaction. And so when you walk into a Vicious Biscuit, what is the experience like? Because it sounds like a lot of people really like being inside a Vicious Biscuit. Yeah, so the first first thing is when we opened, we would have a line all the way out to the street, to the sign. And I had friends for years that would say, well, you know, I want to go by there. But every time I drive by, there's a line. I'm like, from the sign until you order, sit down, eat, and leave is 48 minutes. It's faster than anything that you want to do. So really the fun is when you first walk in is to see the mini board, see all the options, walk up to the counter, see that we, you know, are freshly squeezed orange juice, that, you know, your mimosas are made right there in front of you, your coffee's made right there. You know, you're a part of the experience of being at the counter, but when you sit down, we take care of the rest. And that's kind of our, you know, that's been our slogan forever. It's like, come sit, order at the counter, sit down, and we'll take care of the rest. Now you guys are growing, which is really exciting. Um, it seems like it's all been building and and you, how does your background in franchising help you to grow Vicious Biscuit? Well, really is from learning from mistakes in the past. Um, you know, it's, I, I swear every day I say, you know, you're going to learn something new every day and something new happens from, I mean, I've personally opened over 40 restaurants and I just, I mean, there's something new every single day or every single time we open one. So the growth side of it, we're, we're trying to be very methodical about it. Uh, make sure, first off, when we choose a franchisee, it's not just a franchisee. We don't want to just sell a franchise. We want to honor a franchise, but more importantly is we want to to get a new partner. And they're going to be a business partner of us. You know, back in my day, you know, 25, 30 years ago, when I first started off in franchising, when I was right out of college, you know, it was a trial by fire on trying to figure out how to do it. Um, this time I said, look, you know, my third round on this, we want to make sure that we have the proper support. We have the proper training in place. And really it's just making sure that a franchisee is not seen as just a franchisee, but more as a partner to help build the brand and really represent the brand and the culture the way we want it to be done. Do you think that you're able to have this perspective because you've been growing the brand from the beginning, so you can kind of lay out the groundwork of how you want franchisees to be treated? Well, yes, because I've come from the franchisor side and was a franchisee for quite some time. And so when we were putting the franchise together, we were very hesitant at first, or I should say I was, but I wanted to make sure that we opened up corporate locations. So we opened six corporate locations, about to open our seventh, before we start franchising. And I said, we should treat every new location as if they're the franchisee. So we know, we learn from our mistakes. And no matter how many times I've done it, we still will find a new mistake. And, but, you know, I always say to the team, 
it doesn't matter. I make mistakes all day. It's just a matter of how we learn and handle it. So as long as we properly handle mistakes, we'll always find success into it. So yes, previous relationship or previous business in doing uh, franchising. Yes, I, I, I have a, a, a large notebook of, of notes that I take every day of, oh, okay, well, that didn't work. And so, uh, but, we, you know, we also pride ourselves on our successes and, and um, really focus on those and try to train and learn every single day. Well, and you've had success as far as the business goes. You guys are growing and you're still around after six or six years, seven years? Right. Actually, no, just had our five year anniversary, but yes, yeah, six, well, seven in matter of creating it. But the new year is hard for everyone to think of what right. day it is. That's right. <laughs> So, I mean, you're growing, you're franchising. What do you see as the future for Vicious Biscuit? Look, we want to grow as smart as we possibly can. I think that Vicious from, you know, the decision of when we decided to start franchising was, it, it was literally probably, it, it could have been our thousandth or, or more request to come to a certain state or certain country or certain area, you know, and it finally said, look, you know, corporately, it's going to be impossible for us to get there. We had so many requests for franchising. We finally said, look, let's find the best partners in the brand. I see Vicious, I, it's, I see it as an endless runway for us. I think that we can, our food has, has gravitated to so many people, especially those that have visited Charleston and said, hey, I want one here. I, you know, we've had people from London say, please bring a vicious biscuit. I'm like, well, you guys have different biscuits than what we serve. And so it's, it's just a testimony that I think our food will travel, even though they kind of say it's a Southern, you know, it's a Southern food. It's really not. I mean, this has been around forever. We just do them extremely well. And we put a little Southern hospitality behind it. It's the only difference. Well, as a Northerner, I love biscuits and you can't get a good one up here. So it's very important that you make a good biscuit as you grow. And it sounds like your biscuit is vicious, to put it your way. Um, but I think that it's important to take your own brand ethos and bring it out to other people. I mean, who wouldn't love a Southern biscuit in London? I know. It is crazy how many requests that we get. I mean, with the direct flights from British Airways here during the summertime, it's funny how we say they're like, oh, well, this is a different type of biscuit. I'm like, well, I've had your biscuits. These are much more flavorful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and the size, I mean, come on. I know. And that's probably the biggest thing we get from it is the value. When people see it and they say, wow, you have a eight to $14 biscuit. They're like, wow, that's an expensive biscuit. But once they have it and order it and realize how much it, 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 the value is to it, that's probably the most rewarding thing we get from us is, flavor and value and the experience. And so it's, it's been an, it's been a great ride and we, we look forward to continue to build that out throughout the United States with, you know, through our corporate built locations and our great franchise partners. Now you have the biscuit down, but how do you bring Southern hospitality to other States as you grow? Really through training. Um, you know, we still serve sweet tea. <laughs> um, but we really do do our training of, of making sure the guest the, the guest experience, you know, introducing yourself immediately when they walk in line. The cashier is probably our most important ambassador that when that person walks in, it's just the Southern hospitality of greeting them and helping them walk through the menu. Because, I mean, the menu can be intimidating 
uh, at first when people see that we have a sea biscuit, which is a fried shrimp with Thai chili slaw with yum yum sauce on a buttermilk biscuit. People are like, wow, what is that? And you're like, don't be scared of it. You need to try it. The flavor profile is amazing. And so that's kind of the Southern hospitality. It's just really walking through and make them feel welcome and, and enjoy the kind of the Southern flair through biscuits and gravy to, you know, the big thick cut bacon that we use that it's, has dredged through our own seasoning to gives it kind of a sweet and spice to it. I mean, to really, I mean, a lot of different things that we have. I mean, our sweet potato waffle, it's unbelievable. No one ever thought about a sweet potato waffle, but it's a good Southern touch to it. Well, now I can't imagine not having a sweet potato waffle. It sounds delicious. That's right. <laughs> now, so, you know, That's right. I know you're not, I know you're not the culinarian, but how do you guys go about developing new menu items? Really through our employees and our guests. Um, we we have quite the regulars that try to say, hey, what have you thought about that? I mean, I have a kind of a culinary background through the 30 years of being in the restaurant business. Uh, Michael Greeley is very creative in the sense of what he's doing. And, you know, Michael Ball, who's our you know vice president of operations, we all come, we all collaborate at night with text messages. Hey, look what I cooked. Look what I did. So we always really, we're all foodies. Um and, you know, it's just really listening to our employees and to our guests who say, what about this? I mean, we're about to introduce a new grit bowl that came out that it's our employees that are doing it. And, you know, when you walk in the restaurant and you see your employees eating it and you go, wow, that looks pretty good. You go and try it. Those are the things, you know, it's kind of like, you know, they always said about the restaurant business. The Big Mac was created by a franchisee, you know, well, a lot of those stuffs that we we created the core base menu, but a lot of them has been through just listening to our employees and our customers saying what they like and did we try this or did we try that? And so that's how we've just built the brand. What is your personal history with biscuits? What led you to really develop a brand around biscuits? Were you a fan growing up? I mean, yes, it was. I, I would say it goes back to my grandmother. Um, she would make these hand rolled biscuits and all different types, you know, from the mayonnaise biscuits to the cat head biscuits to the, you know, dinner biscuits. Um, really it's something that has been a part of my life ever since I can remember. Um, even though my, I don't, you know, you can argue that my family was a Southern family, but really a Northern influence. And uh, we just have loved biscuits ever since. Um, you know, to me, it's about the quality of the ingredients that goes into it, because the worst thing is when I go into a restaurant and they have biscuits and I can taste the metal in it, in the flour, I always remember, golly, we use the highest quality flour possible with the highest grade butter and, the, you know, and the ingredients that we use to make our biscuits. And that's what's so important to me, because I have a very finicky palate and I can taste the difference in, when you're not using high quality ingredients. So it's important to know how to taste the difference. If you're in a position like yours, you got to be able to know which ingredients are right and wrong. It's why we still use the same egg that we use today with it. You know, we use a much more expensive egg that has a thicker yolk. It's a darker yellow, the flavor, the texture, everything. You know, when we went through COVID and eggs were went from, you know, 58 cents an egg, we never wavered. We always said we want the highest quality free range egg because it's about quality and that's what's that's what we're always going to instill in our growth and what we're doing don't cut corners keep the quality we've kept it simple 
the entire time, there's no reason for us to cut the quality in what we do. Well, George McLaughlin, thank you so much for joining me today and talking all about Vicious Biscuit. Thank you. It's a pleasure being on.